This podcast is supported by Understood Explains. As parents, we are often having to figure out things as we go, and that is very true for our children's education. And to help you out, I want to tell you about a podcast called Understood Explains. This season is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Ortube, and she discusses all the things you'd want to know about individual education plans, or IEPs, what they are, why they're needed, who benefits from them, and what to expect when you have meetings with teachers. I could have really used this podcast when my son had an IEP for speech when he was six. I was overwhelmed trying to understand the process and what everything meant. The episode on Understood Explains, Does My Child Need an IEP?, was the kind of info that would have really helped me get the most out of the educational support of the IEP for my son. And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. Welcome to Mom in Mind. I'm perinatal psychologist and host, Dr. Kat. There's more to the story than just postpartum depression. And this podcast aims to share it all from personal stories and lived experience to experts who break down the ups and downs of life from getting pregnant, pregnancy, perinatal loss, and postpartum adjustment to parenthood. While this is not psychotherapy or medical advice, it is all of the stuff you ever wanted to know about mental health and new parenthood. Welcome back to the Mom and Mind podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kat. On our episode today, we are joined by Annette Sycon and Naomi Willis. I've been a fan of the work of Annette Sycon and Liz Friedman for a long time. They founded the nonprofit Mother Woman about 15 years ago, and that's where I first learned of their work. And Annette has specialized in group work for over 30 years. And in their Mother Woman program, they designed and trained peers and professionals in their unique trauma-informed support group model for moms. But in 2017, they founded GPS Group Peer Support to broaden the scope of their work to also include people struggling with addiction and recovery, newly arrived refugees, and first-generation college students, frontline workers, and many, many others. And GPS is now implemented in communities internationally and in seven languages. And our other guest, Naomi Willis, has provided nationwide peer support in English and Spanish to families experiencing perinatal mood and anxiety disorders for more than 10 years. And she's been supporting people through services such as lactation, childbirth, doula, postpartum consultation, education, and support. And she ran the nonprofit organization Heart Sounds, serving perinatal, low-income Latina, and BIPOC mothers across Southern Arizona. She's been with group peer support for nearly six years, and she is now the program director, as well as being a GPS certified coach, support group facilitator, and master trainer, both in English and Spanish. She's also worked closely with Postpartum Support International in a variety of ways, and also now works on the National Maternal Mental Health Hotline. What I love about the work that they're doing is that the type of group support that they have created and train other people to implement can be used in a wide variety of languages, environments. You don't have to be a therapist to conduct one of these groups. They've really formulated a powerful support for people to be used in so many ways. And there are not a lot of things like that that can be used across populations, across languages, and that is consistently supportive to everyone who experiences it. And I think this is particularly useful for people who not only are therapists who want to provide a type of group support in their community, surely you can do that, for people who aren't therapists who want to figure out a way to give back now that they've been through what they've been through, it can feel hard to do that. And it can feel like a barrier if you don't you know, have a therapy degree or you're not licensed to, to provide services in those ways. This is one way that people can and do give back within their own communities. I'm really excited for you guys to learn about the GPS group model and hear about ways that it's being implemented and maybe even stir up some ideas for you on how you might be able to use the support in your own community. So let's meet Annette and Nelly. Welcome Annette and Nelly. Thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for having us. Thank you. It's a pleasure for me to be here today. Thanks. 
Fantastic. I'm really excited to talk with you. Annette, this is a long time coming. I feel like we should have had multiple chats by now. So I finally got on the ball and I'm excited to have you here to talk a little bit about GPS, the beginning of GPS and how and why it was started. We can start there and then get into a little bit more about what the program is all about. Okay, good. Well, thanks again for having me, Kat. And I'm so happy that Nellie's here too. She's the program director at GPS so and a dear, dear friend. So I'm so happy that we're doing this together. So I'm Annette Saikon and I'm a social worker. I've been a social worker for 36 years, kind yes. of crazy, with a focus on child and family you know, support. And over the many, many years of doing that work and in my own life as a mom, I really recognize that we have to support the mothers. It was so often that it was the moms who were bringing children into the outpatient clinic where I worked and in the outpatient therapy that we were doing, outreach therapy. We were mostly talking to the mothers. And I also knew that in my own life, when I became a mom, you know, it was way harder than I expected it to be. And I didn't have a postpartum emotional challenges with my first child, but with my second child, I had a two and a half year old. It was January in New England. Yeah, yeah. There was, it was 20 below zero. We had four feet of snow and all these other kinds of things. And there are a lot of photographs of me sitting on the couch, just kind of deadpan holding mm -hmm. the baby like this. So at the time though, early nineties, nobody was really talking about this. So I started an organization with uh, Liz Friedman who's the other co-founder of GPS, we started a nonprofit called Mother Woman. So for about 15 years, we led this nonprofit from a tiny little support group in one community center in Northampton, Massachusetts, to an organization that, again, had national impact because the awareness around perinatal emotional complications, which mm -hmm. is growing and growing and growing, largely thanks to PSI, Postpartum Support International. And so we started running a lot, a lot of groups and realized that if this is going to spread to the communities where it's really needed the most, then we need to train the people. First of all, we need to train people how to run support groups because yeah. it's not as easy as you think. It's like, oh, mm -hmm. let's just get a bunch of women together and talk. Right. It's not all there is to it. I'll talk right. more about that. Yes. And if we want to reach people in other towns and other communities and under other, you know, nationalities and heritage and race and, and so forth, then we have to train those people to run groups in their own communities, in their own right. neighborhoods, because that's where people go for support. So Liz and I started doing a lot of that. So we did a lot of training in Washington State, Perinatal Support Washington, we trained with Dignity Health in California and with all kinds of perinatal support task forces and stuff like that around the country because peer support is one of the foundations of treatment, you know, for perinatal emotional complications or PMADs, however people want to speak about that. And we've just had this really strong clinical belief in training people in how to run the best support group they can possibly run. Yeah. And so... Over time, in about 2017, Liz and I were like, you know, when we're running these trainings for people who serve mothers, not everybody identifies as a mother and not everybody identifies as a woman. So we have to change our focus. And we thought, what better word than GPS, group peer support? It's kind of like, how do you get from here mm -hmm. to there? And whatever vehicle you're driving in, you know, whether it's a Chevy or a bike or a bus mm -hmm. or a whatever, you know, we're all still really needing directional signs to help us get from where we are to where we want to be. And so we started working with people in recovery from substance abuse and addiction and refugees and all kinds of other communities, high schools and first-generation college students, because we know that peer support was so crucial to transitions of any kind. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for that history. I first knew you through Mother Woman and, you know, seen the growth of GPS and experienced a little bit myself. I think you had come to LA, I don't know, however long ago that was, and experienced a bit of the GPS process myself in that room. And it was, and we'll get a little bit more into what the program, the structure is, 
I mean, you probably hear this all the time and both of you hear this all the time. People don't know what to make of groups and group support. And some people might even feel a little hesitant. Oh, do I like want to share? So maybe if you could speak to the benefits of a group support and peer support specifically, why would somebody seek something like that out? Uh, I want to pass this question over to my friend, Nellie. <laughs> Thank you, Annette. Well, I want to respond to that question by sharing a little bit of my experience as a Latina, as somebody who was raised in a community where asking for help and receiving help, it's actually not allowed or mm -hmm. something that you grow up not learning or practicing. Right. So as an immigrant from Mexico, I came to this country alone without family, with no money, with only dreams in my backpack. And of course, I had to contain my emotions to survive because I came here alone to go to school and I avoided being vulnerable and I avoided, you know, just showing any sign of weakness. Back in the day, I thought just showing emotions what weakness. So I never asked for help. So I had my first child as a Latina mother where I was expected to know it all and have it all figured out on my own because mm -hmm. that's a cultural message that I carried for a long time. Mm -hmm. I experienced PMEDs. I couldn't really talk about it. I was not having a good time. I experienced that feeling lonely and isolated while you have people around. It's maybe one of the worst feelings that a mother, that a new mother experiences. So yeah. the stigma and the shame of not being happy or not being in love with my baby actually stopped me from asking for help. So the way that I healed, because I was already working in the ER as a practical nurse, and I just became a lactation consultant because I couldn't breastfeed my baby. So I was like, okay, I'm going to become the support that I never had and that I wasn't brave enough to see. Mm -hmm. So I can be that support to the people who have no voice like I do. And, you know, in that moment, I thought I had no voice. So I became a lactation consultant. I became a lot of things. I became a volunteer of PSI, the helpline in my state. I had been a bilingual counselor for 11 years for moms mm -hmm. in the perinatal stage. And I started running groups and I was like, okay, people may not come because my groups are going to be for Latinas run by a Latina because mm -hmm. I know the feeling. We need the help. We are hungry for mm -hmm. that help to feel seen and listened to and validated and someone just to say, I get you, instead of saying, oh, just tough it up, get up and keep going. No, or somebody saying, I may know what you're feeling, right? right so right. that mirror effect, the boomerang effect that a support group can provide to people, although um, the benefits, responding to your question now, I think that the benefits are going into a support group that is run by somebody from your community that somebody who looks like you, that somebody who sounds like you, mm -hmm. or that may understand the cultural context and the stigmas and everything that we know to be truth from our communities. Someone who understands that we may be experiencing collective trauma, right. therefore we heal in community, we learn in community, mm -hmm. we seek for supporting community. I think the benefits of group peer support has been community co-created it's actually community directed. It's universal and it's very easy to adapt to any population. So the benefits are many. I mean, mm -hmm. I keep saying my story. The first time that I came to a support group, I was struggling with postpartum OCD. This was after my son was in and out of the hospital for over a year, eight surgeries in less than two years. Oh my gosh. And he was just in and out of the PQ. And that's when I listened to your podcast too, mm. before I came to GPS. So on my first GPS training, I was already running groups for Latinas with what I knew, the tools that I had, which weren't many. Now I know that I don't know how I was doing that. I was like, oh my gosh, I had no <laughs> GPS. I had no, no structure at all, but people were coming. Mm -hmm. I was the director of a nonprofit providing support to BIPOC parents, low-income parents in, in my state in Arizona. And I experienced what I called the Latina liberation that day. The first time I sat in a group, a GPS group, I was able to admit that I was having intrusive thoughts, that I was having suicidal thoughts, that mm -hmm. I was struggling so much with what was happening to my son that I couldn't really accept it. I couldn't let go of things. I wanted to fix things on my own. And that day I was like, oh my gosh, I felt so much lighter 
I felt seen. I felt validated. Nobody mm-hmm. tried to fix me. Nobody tried to rescue me. Nobody mm-hmm. tried to say, oh, honey, you know, don't feel that way. It's uh-huh. not a big deal or whatever we say to make someone feel better. So for me, for somebody who couldn't really ask for help or didn't know how to receive help, the group peer support changed my life on the first group. Wow. And transformation just keeps happening. I mean, every time a facilitator runs a group, we don't only see the transformation in the participants, but we also see the transformation in us as facilitators. It's a boomerang effect. You know, you give and you receive so much on every group with the GPS model. That's amazing. And thank you for sharing that part of your story also. I'm sure that so many people who are listening can identify with that to some extent, that feeling of feeling freedom of being seen and heard. I think it's one of our most base needs is to be seen and heard. And it is hard when you're struggling uh, to be in a vulnerable space and to try and get the help that you need. It's really hard. Thank you for your really powerful story. And how beautiful is this group model? I love how you described it, the boomerang effect. And what I really like about what you're saying is it's not just some like talking head that, you know, you're at the front of a classroom and you're just telling people what to do and how to feel and when to talk. It it sounds like you were saying the collective is both involved and healed together. Well, and that's what the training is all about because it takes training to know how to hold a group dynamic. Say you have five or 10 or eight people in the room during that perinatal period. Each one of them is coming in with their own story, their Mm -hmm. own background, their own culture, their own current lived experience, and their own challenges, you know, and mental health issues Mm -hmm. and marital issues and financially. I mean, there's just so, so much, right? And how do we hold a space that invites everyone to be whole and invites me as the facilitator to be able to know that I have a tool that I can use. I have a structure that I can lean into because it's anxiety producing to try to hold a group and you don't have a tool, you know, it's like, driving a car without driver's ed or any kind of manual, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like, here, get behind the wheel of a car, you'll be fine. You know, Mm -hmm. we don't do that. And so to me, it's kind of the same thing with running a support group, particularly for a vulnerable population. It's like, I would never send a vulnerable postpartum mom to a counselor who had no training at all you know, or who only experience he ever had with their own personal healing. That's really important to have shared lived experience. But I think as a clinician, I've always been just really, really cautious and really, really deliberate about wanting to create spaces where people are not harmed. Right. Where people are, feel courageous. We can't guarantee safety right? Mm -hmm. Moved on from that word to speak about creating a brave space where, you know, maybe three women aren't really comfortable speaking yet, but the fourth woman is. Mm -hmm. And so she's going to say what the first three women weren't capable of saying in that moment. Mm -hmm. And then the first three women are also feel heard and validated. And that moves around the room. And I, as a facilitator, have the honor and the privilege of holding that but also the relief, frankly, of having a structure to follow. And that's sort of that boomerang effect too, because now I get to have a powerful experience myself. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a, we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? 
And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent with sometimes hilarious and always thought provoking experts and friends at Mindful Mama. We know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast. Absolutely. And I mean, speaking to the structure without going into all the details yet, I think the structure is super important because in any group, you don't know what's going to come up and you don't know what people are dealing with while they're in there or -hmm. what they're walking into the room with as a facilitator conductor of sorts, right? If you don't have anything that you can, that can hold you, it's much harder to hold the group as well. Exactly. And the GPS model structure comes along with a sequence that for me is the secret sauce. Well, we have many secret sauces according to my perception. And of course, I'm like, okay, like the whole thing is just fascinating when you dive into it. But the structure and the sequence that are very trauma-informed and we really teach people how to listen, how to hold spaces where they don't have to feel or have the responsibility to actually hold the group emotionally, we we teach them those tools that we don't learn in school. We maybe don't learn them when we're growing up. I'm Mexican, so I didn't know how to listen. I confess myself with Annette so many times. I My love language was interrupting. <laughs> and trying to fix people, right? I was listening to people thinking, how can I fix the life of this woman? How can I provide the magic words so this woman feels better today and stops crying or stops suffering? Or, you know, I'm like, I may have the answer. I If I don't have it, I'll look it up. And now I'm like, I'm just listening Mm -hmm. and providing this practicing reflective listening, actually listening and just realizing that most of us as human beings, we only need to be listened to and validated. We may not even need advice. We may not even be asking for advice. Mm -hmm. So I think that's not only the structure, but the sequence and the trauma-informed aspect of the whole model. It's what makes this model so unique that we know we it equalizes everyone as a facilitators we are the same as the participants we all became one we all became the group we are at the same level so everybody checks in and we teach them how and why we do every single thing that we do here in our group so people kind of know what to expect because we give them notice like nothing comes as a surprise so it's very gentle and it's very I don't know. I, I think it's just easy to drive. Going back to Annette's example, we really give them a GPS and a step-by-step instructions on how mm-hmm. to get a car and actually drive. In terms of uh, group support models or support group models in general, this is a big part of the uniqueness of GPS. For yeah. one, a lot of groups are kind of top-down a bit, like y'all are coming here for help and I'm you know, going to facilitate that. But the feeling of community, I think you were alluding to it earlier, is part of not only what it makes it unique, but also what makes it available to everyone. Yeah. Different cultures, different backgrounds. Um, you mentioned people who are refugees. Can you say a little bit more, I guess, in part to the uniqueness of the model and say a little bit more about how the group runs? You were alluding to it a little bit. I think it would be good for people to understand in a little more detail. Sure. So you know how one of the group models that has taken our culture by storm over this past century is AA, mm-hmm. right? AA was started in the early 1900s. I think it was 1920 something or whatever. Ed wrote the big book. And I've done a lot of work with people in recovery over many years clinically and in groups and so forth. And the thing that's really 
wonderful about AA is that if you go to an AA group in Rochester, New York, and you go to an AA group in Air in Tucson, Arizona, or in Bend, Oregon, it's going to be the same. It's going to be the same structure. So that to me is one of the most trauma-informed elements mm. of any kind of group. So mm-hmm. somebody who needs a group can go to something they've never been to before, never been to that town, but they need that group that night, right? We've heard this from our people who are in recovery and they know what they're going to get. That's why they go. And the healing that has happened, the transformation that's happened in the recovery field because of AA and that model. So in many ways, GPS is exactly the same. Wherever you take a GPS group, whether it's in Tampa, Florida, or with Nelly, or in English, or in Afghani, or in Chinese, in Mandarin, or English, it's going to follow the same routine because we develop that routine. And we know over all these many years that you always get the same outcome, which is fantastic, right? So here's the secret sauce. This is the recipe. It's kind of like chicken soup, right? First you do this and then you do this. So we start out and every element is trauma. We start out with a moment of mindfulness. We call it the mindfulness rest stop. It's not meditation. It's not mindfulness. If people are just like, whoa, man, that's way too woo-woo for me. I'm not into yoga. I don't do that sort of thing. You know, all of that. We have a way that we have created and lead so that it's adaptable and that it's accessible and people aren't just sitting there like breathing to themselves and wondering when the hell this is going to be over, right? That's Mm -hmm. not, you know, you try to do mindfulness with a bunch of teenagers, like forget it, right? Mm -hmm. So we teach people how to do this mindfulness rest stop. And it's a process only lasts a few minutes, but it's a process that begins every group where people start to learn how to regulate their nervous system, right? teach people in the facilitator training, we teach them about the basic tenets of mindfulness-based stress reduction. We teach them about polyvagal theory, the vagus nerve, Mm -hmm. that when we take a deep breath, it automatically stimulates our parasympathetic nervous system and starts to help our bodies to slow down and relax, even if we're not like trying to, right? It's Mm -hmm. not meditation, right? So we start out with that. So people just come in You know, they could be coming in agitated. They could be coming in on their phone. There's, you know, right? We all do that. Mm -hmm. But it's a moment to be like, okay, let's just take it down and get into our space right here with whatever people bring, right? It could be that they're still anxious. I'm not attached to the outcome. You know, Mm -hmm. I just want to be present in that moment. And then we talk about our guidelines and talk about secret sauce. Our guidelines are really unique. And we spend time in every group talking about them. They're not rules. We don't put them on the wall. They don't go like this. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't interrupt. Don't cross talk. We actually talk about confidentiality for a good 10 minutes, if you can believe that. Because there are many, many people, if someone hasn't had the experience in their personal life of having had their boundaries respected, of having had their own confidentiality respected, of living in a community where gossip happens all the time and so forth. And among women, right, we have this sort of culture, you know, we're breaking through cultures of competition and all these different kinds of things. So we talk a lot about how confidentiality is a skill we learn how to build because it's how we start to build trust. So that's just one example. We talk about the power of setting boundaries and saying no, and then all of the other guidelines. And so we use each opportunity for each guideline, the one about advice, the one about interruption, and one about strong emotions. And it's what we're doing is not just helping people to figure out how you want them to behave while we're together for this next hour and a half. But we're actually teaching people about emotional intelligence, about what about themselves, mm-hmm. right? And it's done, you know, quickly. It's not like laborious and boring. We, you know, all this kind of stuff, but it's part of what we train people in how to do. And it's the thing that helps people to really feel okay, I'm safe here. Like I could, if I want to, I could say that thing here. And then we talk about the realities 
of the life we live. So we start to do a little bit more where we're like, and if we're a postpartum mom, and we start to talk about the realities of that, right? So the realities is that, you know, we may not be sleeping, we may not, you know, having sex, um, we may even be having scary thoughts, you know, we start bringing up the hard stuff first. As the facilitators, we say the hard thing first, and or the taboo thing first, and and then that also gives people permission. It's like, oh, I can talk about that here. Oh, okay. This isn't one of those kind of groups where I'm going to just talk about poop and, you know, <laughs> like things like that. Like yeah. this, this, this is a place where I get to be real. And, and there's and so few places to do that. Exactly. That's exactly right. There are so few places where you can come in and say, I don't feel connected to my baby. Last night, I was this close Mm -hmm. to whatever. Mm -hmm. We don't talk about that in public. When people ask you how you are, they want to hear, I'm fine. Mm -hmm. How's the baby? He's great. Mm -hmm. Right? But we need a place to go. And if we're going to invite people to say the hard thing, then we need to be prepared for that. And then the check-in comes and people say the hard thing. And it's okay because then the other person here is like, oh, she's got intrusive thoughts too, or she isn't connecting to her baby either, mm-hmm. or all of these taboos and things that are that we think we're the only one, and it's held in a container. And like Nellie said, the facilitator's job is not to fix it. The facilitator's job is not to say, okay, so here are all the resources you can use. Watch this, watch that, do this. We're just holding it. Like, yeah. That's super and, powerful. And it's powerful. You know, yeah, of course, if someone is in crisis, if someone needs more, if someone asks us for resources, we have them. And we will talk to people after group if we're concerned about something. But it's not a therapy group, but it's therapeutic. And it's not only, it's not a generic kind of support group. It's a place where people learn a lot and offload a lot. And don't you think, Nellie? Tell me what you think about this. Isn't it powerful to watch other people grow? Like, that's the other cool thing, is that when you're in a group of six or seven women and you're watching someone week by week, their transformation, their strength, their ability, it's like to watch it, to witness to it. From the group member's point of view, it's like, she can do it, I can do it. Mm -hmm. It's like going to the gym with somebody, which I don't do, but... (laughs) with somebody and seeing how they're working on those muscles you know those muscles those strengths and yeah so I actually have an example for that and I share that over and over everywhere I go because I had an existing group of Latina mothers and I also work with refugees and immigrants here because I'm an hour away from the border with Mexico and I remember how the impact of one group to witness that and see how much they shared and how much they opened up in comparison to previous groups. And as we went along with the group, because we kept the group for years, it was very consistent and very, very, I don't know, I feel like a family because they really got closer because they were sharing a lot of things that they weren't able to share before. And you can just see them physically, emotionally, mentally, how they share things and how they, all the things they learned as participants in the support group, like setting boundaries and confidentiality and listening, because listening is the key. That's what we keep telling people in our trainings and groups. And they were coming back saying, Nelly, I actually listened to my husband and you know, my relationship, it's been renovated. I'm like, oh, yeah, you should ask my husband and he can tell you all about it. He has a review for GPS, by the way. So, you know, like I didn't interrupt my teenager and she was actually able to say a lot more than, you know, than before. So all these skills that they actually learn and apply in their personal lives and how they manage things that come their way, because we will always be going through something, right? As mothers, we face new realities every day in life. It's going to just keep getting challenging as babies grow challenges grow as well right sometimes yeah. but yeah Great. and speaking out loud about their challenges and feelings and the stigma i think that's what breaks the shame speaking mm-hmm. out loud about what's really bothering you what's really hurting you and that's the liberation i'm craving that's what i think that breaks with the shame 
that they were able to speak out loud about what they were feeling. Sometimes they don't even need to speak about it again. That's all they needed. And they can move on and they can heal. So GPS really offers these spaces where people can heal and they can transform their feelings and their relationship with the feelings, which I think is great. Yeah. I mean, you're now also offering this training for facilitators in Spanish, which is a huge deal. And we'll get to that in a moment. But just in terms of the impact that you guys are seeing on the perinatal population, the impact of having this kind of support on the perinatal population, but also people of color within the perinatal population. There's, I have a multi-layered kind of question comment. There are huge gaps in support and understanding and all of the things, humility. How are you seeing GPS filling those gaps? Well, you, you hit the nail right on the head, Kat, which is that there's not enough high quality mental health care, particularly in communities of color. And there's not enough high quality mental health care led by providers who, as Nellie said, look like us, talk like us, eat like us, laugh like us, right? Whose relationships with their mothers, you know, are similar. Like culture is, right? Is that's the love language, right? That's the foundation. And so it would be insane for me to run a group for a bunch of black women in Houston, Texas. You know, I could fudge it and I'm nice and everything. And I, you know, right. But it's not the same. Let's mm -hmm. find who's the person that moms already go to in Houston, mm -hmm. Texas. That's the thing, right? Mm -hmm. Where do moms already go? They go to church. So let's build capacity in the church. In the Latino and the black churches, they're full to the brim. They're full to the brim because it's about community and about connection and because it's about safety and it's about intergenerational connection, right? That's part of the culture. And so there's always the abuela or there's always the grandma who people can go to for safety. And there are a lot of churches and so forth that already run small groups. Let's build the capacity in the places where people already go because there isn't enough mental health capacity. But let's train people so that they're providing as best of a mental health model as possible. That's adapted, of course, right? So if it's in church, include prayer. You know, in the Afghan community, we were working with Afghan refugees last year. We're doing it again right now, which is really incredible. The women were coming together and they were cooking because that's what they do. That's the culture. So it's like, we'll bring the women together. Let's cook. Let's make a meal and let's sit down. And that's when we start to talk. Mm-hmm. And the facilitator has learned these things, and then she gets to adapt it. She gets to say, okay, what's the way that I can say this in a way that's culturally relevant? I remember one time, this was hysterical, and Nellie, you know this guy, Omar Delgado from Springfield, Massachusetts, this charming Latino guy who runs a program, a residential men's program for recovery. So he and his coworker come in because they're being paid by the, you know, Department of Public Health. So they come to this training for free. Okay, terrific. They learn GPS. They're like, hey, this sounds really cool. But they're like, this is too touchy-feely for our guys. Like, our guys are tough. Like, they're from the street. Like, they're not going to go for all this woo-woo, talk about our feelings thing. And we're like, okay, all right. Well, so tell us. Tell us what happens. You know, try it out. Adapt it. Teach us about what works. They came back and they were like, I can't believe it. These guys loved it. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Not only that, it started out with like five guys because, you know, they'd be growing. I'm in this program, you know, mm -hmm. I don't really want to be here. I'm here on probation, whatever, right? There's a lot of resistance. These guys are like running to group. It's the mm -hmm. funniest thing. And they're like, they love the mindfulness rest stop. They loved talking about the guidelines. Not only that, but when new men come into the program, they're telling them how they want them to behave in the program. And I'm like, whoa. And this whole thing is in Espanol too. Like the whole thing is in Spanish. You've thread a needle in the sense of creating something that's both structured and flexible at the same time. I mean, it's incredible that it can adapt the model can adapt and still f like have the same feel as you're describing that everywhere you go, it's, you know what to expect. 
And same trauma-informed elements, mm-hmm. right? So that whether you're a guy at this residential place in Springfield or you're uh, a woman in Houston or you're somebody someplace else, you know, it has that same container that feels like, mm-hmm. okay, I can let my hair down here. I can say the hard thing mm-hmm. and I can heal from my experience. That's Sometimes funny. the outcome is, wow, I really need therapy. <laughs> Sometimes the outcome is I'm more depressed than I thought. This mm-hmm. isn't just me. I'm actually struggling with a mental health issue and I need a consult. You know, like we're not against like mental health care by any means. It's like, yeah. But sometimes people don't get there because they stay isolated and they don't realize that it's a common experience, you know? I just wanted to add a little more about the gap that GPS has filled in the past and the ones that we know that GPS can fill, especially in the perinatal mental health system as an advocate, you know, as a volunteer, as a counselor in the work that I do, not only in my community, but internationally now for the perinatal mental health field. What I know to be true is that we may have some services available for people, some resources, but we are missing some pieces there. The most important pieces that we may be missing are trust, connection, offering a culturally uh, sensitive service to the people. So GPS, it's not a replacement for therapy, it's not a replacement for medical care, but it's the bridge between the people and Mm. some of those existing resources that we may have. My community, my population, my people, my natives are not going to go to a clinic the first day they feel depressed. They're not going to go to a doctor the first month. They will struggle for weeks and even months before they can even recognize that they need the help or that they can even come out of their homes and say, okay, I do need to talk to somebody or I need to go somewhere or maybe I need to just be around you know, other moms at a group. But I believe that support groups are the frontline resource mm-hmm. and maybe the first stop for a mom that doesn't even know what's going on with her emotions. So right. for me, DPS is filling those gaps. We are also recognizing people from the communities, not only moms and peers, but some of the participants who come to our groups they don't come to our trainings. They come to our groups to receive support. They healed and they got so much empowerment that they're like, you know, after months, they're like, Nelly, can I take this training? Now I want to be a support group facilitator. Now I want to have a, a support group on my own. And I want to help other people. So we actually help people to recognize their own strengths. Even if they don't have those letters after their names, they don't have a PhD, they're not medical providers, but they are part of the community and they become peers. I think Mm -hmm. that peers are a very important aspect and they need the training because as we know, peers are people from the community. There may be survivors or maybe somebody who had supported somebody else struggling with PMITs and they need the training. So those gaps are being filled by GPS. We are training people from the community. We are training people from the refugees. We are training people in the border. We are training people in these communities that need the support. So Mm -hmm. we also train providers. We also train people that have a lot of experience. But um, I think that the consistency, the structure, and the sequence that we teach to people are skills that can even protect people who are providing support out there. We are providing support with no tools, no skills. We are putting people at risk and we are putting ourselves at risk by not having the right training. So that's a gap that GPS has been able to fill successfully. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Co, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. 
My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory, two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And now we're back with a whole new podcast about unsticking it, launching in January. What happens when life gets in the way of our creativity instead of nourishing it? We talk to all sorts of guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. So join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Get out of there, life gunk. Let us help you get back to your best creative self. Look for Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Wherever you listen to podcasts starting in January. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking it. Absolutely. I really am glad also that you brought the point in that you don't have to be some kind of mental health professional specifically or have some degrees or, or whatever in order to be a support in your community. I don't know, there's just like with the power structures and hierarchy of things like that, especially in the medical system, it can feel, it could feel like that's not available to people. But I hear you loud and clear that how important it is to have people within the community that are already connected be the person who is supporting the community. Right. And of course, they won't have all the knowledge and the skills that a medical provider will have, but they can be the connection. They can be the bridge you know, from those mothers, those parents, those families that are struggling to the medical care, to the, mm-hmm. you know, to a therapist, to a specialist. And that way peers can refer people or bring people directly to the right support. I think that's the gap that trained peers can mm-hmm. fill in our communities. Not only, and this is not uniquely for the Hispanic community, the refugee. I think it, that's just universal. We should work as a team and we should collaborate as a team, you know, in the community. And that's how we can get those gaps filled, of course, with the right skills and training. Well, yeah. yeah. And I was just thinking about that right at the end, what you were saying, that if people wanted to become that support, the whole wide range is, is available from someone who's in their community and, you know, a parent who wants to support other parents and not necessarily a mental health professional, all the way to whoever, you know, in whatever medical system or something that wants to have this training or bring it into their system, you guys are training everybody. It's not only available to these select few. We're training everybody. We're, we have a contract with the state of Massachusetts, Department of Public Health, and they're implementing GPS groups in every single recovery and addiction support program across the state. That's huge. It's huge. We've been doing this now for four years. Every residential center, every rehab, every women's group, every community center, because GPS is easy to learn and then it's easy to implement. And Department of Public Health loves it so much that they are using it in every group they run. Same thing in uh, perinatal support Washington run by, you know, Mia Edidin and, oh my goodness, I'm going to embarrass myself, but I've known Mia for 12 years or something like that. You know, they are using GPS across the board, across all of their perinatal support groups, all of them. They train people and that's the only model they use. We were working with the Montana Healthy Baby, Healthy Mother Coalition. We're going to be training people from the Maternal Mental Health Alliance in Wisconsin. I'm sure you guys have a better lay of the land than I do when it comes to what I'm going to ask you, but there's not a lot of training out there on how to run a support group. Not enough. And some of the ones that are out there are not as flexible as what you've created and designed. So just the fact that you're providing a training is a big deal. Even as therapists, we don't necessarily come out of school or whatever, knowing how to run a group, knowing how to hold that space. Right. And... It's just like the more I'm understanding what you guys are doing, the more of just a massive gem this is. Oh, thank you. Well, you know, if I could just say something, which is that 
because we've been doing this for a long time, right? And so we're like, other people have got to be doing this too, right? Like, who are the other people who are doing what we're doing? And what we found is that other people are training curriculum-based support groups. So you learn the content, right? And you learn it in a couple of days. So the perinatal content, right? You learn symptoms, risk factors, coping, all kinds of really, really important stuff, but not the process of holding a trauma-informed space for 10 people Mm -hmm. who are coming in with all their own stuff, right? Mm -hmm. That's an entire, we don't train people in that. So to me, GPS is like building a house, Mm -hmm. right? It's like, it's the structure of the house. And then inside the house, you can build whatever you want, but you have the house. You've got Mm -hmm. the foundation, nice solid cement foundation or a slab. Then you've got your timbers and you've got your roof. You can paint it however you want. You can put as many rooms in it as ever you want. You can do whatever you want inside with that structure. And that's that uniqueness. Mm -hmm. So if you're running recovery groups, fantastic. If you're doing groups for, you know, Ugandan genocide survivors, which we're about to train people from Uganda, you know, it's yeah, so you're right. No, there isn't that much. And let alone, hello, in Spanish. Right. Yes. Yeah. Nellie, can you uh, tell us more about the training and also the training in Spanish and how people can learn more? Yeah, sure. So the training of GPS in Espanol has its a dream come true for me and for Annette and Liz. This training has been carefully adapted to the Latino population, not only from my country, we, you know, expanded our adaptability and inclusiveness to like the whole Latino population. Although this training is 100% in Spanish, led by Latino uh, trainers, we have trainers from all over the world, We we have trainers from Mexico, Puerto Rico, Argentina, El Salvador, Guatemala, Chile, and many more, I may be missing some countries. However, we also invite people from South America, especially that are volunteers from PSI that I'm connected to and that GPS is connected to. We try, we bring those people who are volunteers and that we know that have big roles and big responsibilities supporting people with no training. So we fill those gaps. We actually also remind people that the skills that they learn in our trainings are not only to support people in a group setting, but in a one-on-one setting. We know that most people that are Latinos or immigrants may be peers or working in a home visiting program or being in that front line, like I, I said before, where they are going to be the first ones going into a home or visiting a family to provide a service, you know, like an early childhood service or something, and they need the training, they need the skills, they need to know not only how to recognize when a parent needs help and what kind of help, but they need to know how to support somebody, how to, you know, manage what they're dealing with. This training is also, it's very interactive. We know, I know, Annette knows that Latinos learn in community because that's how we grow up, right? We grow up in groups, we grow up in family, we do everything in groups and in community collectively. So we try to incorporate a lot of interaction moments where we practice, it it has a lot of hands-on practice. It's not only sitting down watching, you know, two people talk, Mm -hmm. we have a lot of practice opportunities, examples. We actually tell them, you know, the pro tips, like if you want your group to be successful, Go to the library where in the neighborhood where the population that you're targeting lives. You know, we speak about accessibility, how accessible you can make your support groups, which is maybe one of the barriers that people who have resources out there may be having. Just in terms of what we've talked about so far, I want to make sure we get in all of like your guys' most important points, things you want to be sure to get across. And I just need to take a little inventory if we've where we're at there. So is there any big stuff that you feel like we haven't attended to that we should? I think we both, between the two of us, you know, (laughs) there were things that you said, I was like, oh yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. And I'm (laughs) sure it was the the other way around. So I think between the two of us, I feel comfortable, you know, talking about the gaps, talking about the adaptability, talking about the need for training, talking about, I loved when you said, you know, we're the bridge between the people and the services and how the skills we're teaching are applicable also in 
other settings than just running groups and all that stuff. I think, I think we covered a lot of that. I'm realizing, I don't know when this podcast is coming up, but it might be useful to tell people that we're, well, we're holding a training in about two weeks. So it would only, it would only matter if you were putting this up anytime soon, but the Latina training is in the winter time, how people can access webinar for the perinatal community of color. We have a webinar coming up at a conference in Seattle about BIPOC, perinatal mental health, cultural stigma. Yeah. BIPOC community. You know, you and I, Nellie, had a really cool conversation today that really kind of opened our minds. When we talk about the word Hispanic or Latino, we want people to know that we also are inclusive of people from the community who are indigenous to the countries that they live in. They don't necessarily identify as Latinas or even Hispanics Mm -hmm. because they're indigenous. So I've done a lot of work in Guatemala, working in a women's health, indigenous women's health organizations. And there were indigenous women in our training. And when we speak about Latinas and Hispanics, which is always our language, we're not really addressing a large population of community health workers and stuff who are indigenous serving indigenous Latinas or indigenous people from Central and South America. Work here at the border with indigenous people and refugees that here in Arizona, we have Mm -hmm. a lot of populations. And that's a reality. I mean, they are maybe yeah. from South America and they speak Spanish, but they don't identify as Latinos mm. or Latinas. They are indigenous yeah. and that's within their culture. So we are very inclusive and we're very aware. Of that. Yeah, we we're very aware. To, yeah, we, yeah, we try to also, you know, mention that and give them that recognition that they may not have anywhere else. And the other thing that we didn't say about this training is that but I want to, before we like get to the, how do people find you guys, like these points that you want to bring in, you have some points that you want to be sure to get in to talk about. And then, yeah. This is an opportunity of a lifetime, Kat. I want to say, I know. <laughs> no, seriously. So I just want to do like a recap of what uh, makes GPS trauma-informed and what GPS has to offer, if that's okay. So mm-hmm. I would like to say that in like four or five points, three okay. points. You know, the consistency, the, sure. you know, how predictable our groups are and how, you know, we, we view, we give them the tools and all of that. So if I can have the opportunity to say that, I think that not only for the training in Spanish, but also in English, because with the same mm-hmm. training, but it has like a Latino taste. It's just different, the language, but the content, it's exactly the same. Okay, perfect. With the adaptations, of course. Do you want to include this indigenous comment too, Nelly? I think we should say that the training is for, you know, not it's in Spanish and it's for anyone who speaks Spanish, if they're Latinos or indigenous. I think that we shouldn't go so deep into it um, just because, right? What do you think? I can probably say it in a couple of sentences. Okay. I really think that it's important to say why is GPS trauma-informed because that's really important for many people and and organizations and programs. That's what they need. Um, so what can other people understand or expect with the training? This is a training 100% in, in Spanish and Espanol. And we are not only inviting the people who identify themselves as Latinos or Hispanic, we also welcome and honor um, all the indigenous communities that live not only in the United States, but in Central and South America. Whoever speaks Spanish and can relate with the cultural content of our training is welcome. We invite people throughout the entire world. It's it's a training that is open to anyone who is in the field of providing peer support, providers, or anyone who would like to use their lived experience to support other people in their community. One of my dreams with this training was to offer a high quality training that in my country, which is Mexico or in South America, Central and South America, we can't get. So that was one of my dreams, offering a very high quality training Mm -hmm. for my community, my population, you know, that they can't get anywhere else. So that's one of my main goals. And, And actually also remind people of what makes the GPS training, not only in English, but also in Spanish, trauma informed. 
the trauma-informed aspect of our training is a very important component for all the people who are dedicated to provide perinatal mental health support out there. The GPS model is consistent. It's predictable. It's structured. We know that it's accessible. It's very easy to implement. It's 100% universal and adaptable. The guidelines are always consistent. You will always get and expect the same thing. Mm -hmm. The sequence is going to always be the same. We offer this protected opportunity for self-reflection, for um, people to recognize their own strengths. We integrate, like Annette mentioned before, we integrate the somatic grounding techniques and the polyvagal practice. And as we had already mentioned, this training is appropriate for anyone who has the intention and the opportunity to support other people and to use their lived experience to support other people. I know there are so many people, even clients I've had personally, but other people who've been on the podcast, conversations I've overheard about how after people are kind of feeling better, how can they support other people who are going through things like this? And the, the kind of barrier, as you're saying, of people supporting other people is not having this kind of training or guidelines on how to support people in their community. It's so super powerful to want to help people after you've found your own healing. It's such a such a real and deep feeling. And that people don't have to have a million degrees in order to do this is huge and automatically makes it accessible. I mean, I know there are people listening right now to this who have these thoughts. How, how do I get trained? How do I help people in my area? Let alone us therapists who don't get this training, which is wild. We hear but that all the time. I went yeah. to social work school and grad school and I didn't get this in-depth training. I've heard people say this should be part of you know, college curriculums and yeah. things like that. So there are more dreams to be manifest in the future. <laughs> but in the meantime, you know, because the training is online, it's virtual, people can join from anywhere. And that's a big advantage. And the training itself is only two and a half hours. Each module is two and a half hour class. And it takes place over several days in a month, right? So I won't get into the details of that. You'll mm -hmm. find that out if you register and, and learn more about the group. But again, we're trying to make it accessible mm -hmm. to the people who are also wanting to participate, you know, to get right. trained. So our trainings typically, the training in English typically happens in the fall and in the spring. Our training is going to take place in mid-October into early November of 2023. And then again in English in 2024. And the Spanish training will take place in February of 2024. And um, Nellie can tell you all about, we have some free webinars where people can learn more about us in one hour, you know, little mm -hmm. bites so that they can hear from, you know, or ask. With PMEDS, I continue to heal. And I invite you all to find that training, that purpose in your lives and take trainings like this, trainings that are trauma-informed, Trainings are not going to take a lot from you. Trainings are going to teach you how to listen, how to support people, and how to use your own lived experience and recognize your own strengths. You may not need those letters after your name because you may have what it takes to be a great peer support leader or peer mm -hmm. support group facilitator. And of course, we welcome all providers and professionals as well because we have trained a lot in English and Spanish. That we're also engaged in research. We are working on developing an evidence base and we're very close. We've been doing research for many, many years with research institutions, universities, social work departments, and soon to be with NIH because we believe so deal. strongly it's a very big deal. There's very little evidence-based research on support groups because there are no consistent models and you can't do a control and so forth. So we're really dedicated to that. And so people who are interested, who are listening, who might be research people or fascinated with that aspect of building capacity, it's really about building greater capacity to serve greater amounts of people. They can contact us too, to engage in research. Great. Thank you. Fantastic. 
I'm so excited about what you're offering and it's really a service you're providing as well. So many people need this kind of support and I'm glad that we're able to walk through what this is and how people can access it because that in and of itself is a barrier, not even knowing that this is available. So thank you for coming on and sharing all of this with us. Thank you. Please get connected with Group Peer Support at grouppeersupport.org. And they're also on Facebook at Group Peer Support. And join me for the new podcast series within Mom and Mind called Behind the Sessions. There are new episodes every other Thursday where we dive into therapy topics, things that people bring into therapy that I wish really everybody could hear about because these issues, these problems, these challenges are really quite universal in the perinatal experience, in the reproductive mental health experience. It's just, we all feel so isolated when we're feeling bad. And it's hard to know that the things we feel are also the things that other people experience. So I'm here to break down the stigma and share with you as many things as I can about what comes up in therapy in the series behind the sessions. Thanks so much for being with us until next time. Please find the Mom and Mind podcast on momandmind.com or wellmindperinatal.com, where you can also find access to my free online mini course that is specifically designed for people experiencing anxiety in the postpartum period. Or you can learn more about the three and a half hour self-paced course that I created just for managing postpartum stress. You can also connect with us on social media at Mom and Mind on Instagram and Facebook. Thank you for tuning in and learning more about perinatal mental health. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask-Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips.